going on everybody it's a it's a monday night july 5th on a uh, a long weekend long holiday weekend this is the feed to Embiid. i am your host austin krell along with my, my 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 guy jason blevins covers the sixers for the painted lines as well as 97.3 spn he is indeed a double agent um and we have mike small of the killing me smalls podcast and of uh, the university of north carolina <laughs> Gentlemen, how are we? Well, I don't have a North Carolina degree. I did work there, but well, uh, I try to give you credit. And you- I, I, I will, I will count it though. But uh, I'm already missing Zoomoff's voice from the opening. There it's we go. Me. I know, I, I know. It's that that that's, that took me by surprise. I was very shocked to uh, that 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 came down the way it did. What a what a legend! What a joy! And uh, we got to get him on your podcast, Austin. You know, it's funny is there actually was a never published episode with Mark Zumoff. Oh, really? Why didn't you publish? Because I think the timing of it was just like by the time it was ready to be edited or at the time, by the time I had time to edit it, the game that we discussed was already passed. So it was like, so rookie mistake. Yes. Yes. You got to go evergreen with this stuff. Yes. I got one for you guys. 1987. I was his intern at Prism Sports. Wow. It was Mark Zumoff, Larry Rosen, and Ken Adelberger. And I used to run the teleprompter and log yes. games and tell them when cool dunks happened and and goals and touchdowns and whatever. It was pretty cool. Well, so, in, my ex- in my experience, he was always a very uh, kind soul. So he will yeah. be missed. He, will be, he, he was a legend in the game and – I would say the next voice should not try to fill the shoes, but rather be their own authentic individual self because you just can't be the the, the next Mark Zumoff. There's, there is no next. There's only one. You got to be yourself. You hear that, Matt Murphy? There we go. <laughs> I wasn't directed at Matt Murphy, though. Um, it was just in general. Although my, my suspicion would be that Murphy would go to uh, radio and McGinnis would step up to the, to the TV. Yeah, I, I think, think that would be a good choice. Yeah. yeah, probably at the time. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. So we have two things to discuss today. Um, this is kind of a, a last second one that I threw in that I didn't inform you of prior to. Um, but I'm out. Or yeah, yeah no, exactly. this is this is some sort of a some sort of a, you springing it on us. Gotcha interview. No. Yes. So we have. Four free agents. We have Dwight Howard. We have Furkan Korkmaz. We have Danny Green. Mm-hmm. And who was the last one? Uh, is this a quiz? I didn't realize. No, no, no. This is a question. Like I'm, uh, I'm dead oh, serious. Danny Green, Dwight Howard, Furkan, Furkan, and I don't remember. I just remember every time I see it on social media, I'm thinking I'm fine if they don't take any of them, but Danny Green. But <laughs> that's that, that's right. So what we're gonna do here? First, we're going to predict whether each each guy comes back, really. So yeah. we'll, we'll start it off that way because I feel like that's, that's a pretty pressing topic. And by the way, that free you know, I'm looking it up. Yeah. Yes. I. Mike Scott. Mike Scott. Yeah. Okay, Mike Scott. We're already counting him gone. So that's yeah. why. That's why it's I. Already why out I, of our brains. That's why I forgot because it was Mike Scott. Um, so. Um, those four, I guess we'll start off with, um, Danny Green, because it feels like a pretty obvious one. They have their early bird rights on him. So I think there's a lot of reason from a financial standpoint to bring him back, even if might, maybe it's a little bit expensive. I think he was invaluable to the team and I would certainly, um, bring him back. And by, uh, by all accounts, 
um, the, the, the tea leaves w- would say that I, th- I think it's probably maybe a favorable scenario, but apparently he he's pulling a JJ Reddick as it was termed to me where he's going for the big payday. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what the big payday looks like. Maybe it's Philly. Maybe it's not Jason. What do you think? Um, well, that's interesting, right? So how did JJ Reddick work out in New Orleans uh, for the Pelicans? I'm not, I'm not sure it really worked for them. It worked out great for him. Uh, Danny Green, I, now I'm trying to think of a situation where a sign and trade as part of something else might make sense uh, to a capped out team. I'm sure that exists. I, I just have to look maybe a New York Knicks, something like that, where I think the Knicks have plenty of space, but they can sign some free agents, spend their money, and then do some sort of uh, sign and trade with a team um, for him. So there's scenarios. I don't, my sense is, I th- and I think I said, I, I, I think I saw this somewhere. He does not expect to be back. So uh, you know, I think, um, I think a lot of it's going to hinge on Ben Simmons. Yeah. You know, you know that's the elephant in the room. And if they have to trade four or five people to get Damian Lillard, um, they're going to need the body, and they'll definitely need to try to keep him. If not, you know, you got to wonder if a team like Oklahoma City that is just tearing it all down and has a bunch of picks says, you know what, we'll overpay this guy for two years, like a JJ Reddick contract, like you brought up, to help create culture. And, um, you know, be a positive influence in the room and, and not expect too much. Uh, it makes a lot of sense for a team like that. Um, I'm not sure if any of the teams that are on the cusp of winning a championship are going to spend $10, $12 million on him. Yeah. So I, I, I think, you know, I'd love to have him back at the right price. You're not going to overpay for him, even though he is a Tar Heel. Uh, you're not going to overpay for him. But, uh, I, again, I think a lot of it hinges on the elephant in the room, and that's Simmons. Yeah, I I think – well, first, Jason, the article that you referenced was Keith Pompey's recent article, and I couldn't tell whether that was, like, sourced information or rather just a a a, a, a prediction on his part. I guess yeah. you could get the Keith argument. Keith doesn't do that. That's not Keith's game. Keith, Keith reports sourced information. And he so, may, you, so that was he someone telling – his source. That was someone telling him that he's not going to be back. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, Keith doesn't. Keith doesn't speculate. It's not his game. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of people who speculate. There's a lot of people who make stuff up. Um, there's a. Then there's the just reporting what they're they're hearing. People. Yeah. I I fall more into the speculation category because I don't. Oh, I know you do. <laughs> I'm just trying to look at it from different angles and see what makes sense. And um, I don't spend a lot of time um, hunting for sources. Sometimes they come to me, um, but Keith doesn't do that. Yeah, he's very well sourced. Um, yeah, no, he is. Even though people like, like yeah. to get on his back about about what he says, I, well, I, people I, were I, pissed I, at him about this process. Uh, well, that was article, that was, that's that's for that was sure. an article. Um, I I personally think that Danny will be back. I just I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, I, if you were to go anywhere other than Philly, I feel like the, there's like a one pretty obvious place where he would fit in pretty well, which would be Dallas. Because, like, their wing defense wasn't great this year. Gives Luka a shooter that really can work the corners. They can run a lot of a lot of good actions for Luka to get downhill and then kick to Danny. So I think that, I think that, that that's, that's a good fit. I mean – he, he, he said on his podcast he wanted to go to like a, like the, obviously a great city. I think LA is the both LAs are, are more capped out if 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 I or I believe I don't know if the early birds. yeah I'm looking I'm looking now yeah capped out um, yeah I don't think the Lakers want him back um, I know that he didn't do fair. so well in the playoffs so I think uh, I think the LA fans kind of turned on him fair um, what about the Knicks I mean he's from Long Island. Um, yeah. Again, a team on the brink of winning, uh, or at least trying to build that culture. Um, you know, a guy, definitely a Thibodeau kind of guy who can shoot. It's not a terrible fit. Yeah, and the Knicks could just flat out sign him and overpay him. They have like no money on the books. Exactly. So they walk into next 
um, into this offseason with $49 million on the books. Yeah. And um, if they strike out on your top tier free agents, which I don't even know what that class looks like. It's not great. Um, they, could, they could easily overpay, um, you know, multiple guys like Danny Green. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's my prediction right there. I think he ends up with the Knicks. Yeah. I have wow. no sources. Wow. Look at that. Okay. Like that. Throwing it down. Yeah, so these are the top five free agents available this summer. It's Chris Paul, Kawhi, Mike Conley, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, and then they have a pretty significant drop to like Otto Porter and like the rest. Um, I don't know. I feel like like the Sixers have the ability. Yes, the Knicks could sign him outright, but I also don't know. Maybe he thinks that that situation isn't a winning situation. Like that 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 would be detrimental to him winning a title. But it is though. Oh well, he's got the titles. I know, but I mean, uh, you also have to make money and make the playoffs. Yeah, and that's fair. Uh, I I just I have a suspicion that Joel liked, you know, like playing with him, and if that's the case, I I suspect he would be back. I don't think Uh, he disliked it, but I'm trying to think through all of the times Joel, when Joel likes a guy, he will bring him up unprompted in in uh, interviews, and I'm trying to. Rack my brain for any time he brought up Danny Green. Well, he brought Ben up in Game Seven unprompted, so that was <laughs> that, that that gave me all I needed to know. <laughs> well played, well played. Uh, anyway, um, we'll, we'll go to uh, we'll go to Furkan Korkmaz next. That will be the next guy. Um, I my guess would be no. My guess is that Furk gets an offer like from you know your your Charlotte Hornets, just for an example. And they give him like eight to ten million per year, three years. I, that, that would be my guess. Wow! Can you see Ferk getting a twenty-four million dollar three-year deal? That's insane. That would be. Um, he can slot right in the Cody Zeller slot. slot. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Cody Zeller slot. That was something that someone from 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 the Sixers said that they project his his value could be. So I was, I was, I was pretty, I was taken aback by. It. I was like, well. I, I hope for your sake you you don't you don't offer that money, <laughs> um, but that's me. Uh, it sounds like you both are in agreement on that. That Furkan won't be back. Yeah, watch him go to the Brooklyn Nets. There's my prediction. There's, he and TLC. Yeah, yeah. It just it seems to be a graveyard for X Sixers who can shoot a little bit. Well, but um, how's Brooklyn? I, I don't think Bro- he makes Brooklyn is way at the apron. They couldn't. Yeah, they would have to do some gymnastics to make make a contract like that work. Yeah. Would so, Burke sign a mid-level exception? I don't know. But I, I think they're there. too close to the apron, actually. They're at $165 million. Yeah. Way over in the luxury. You know, again, it, it if, ben, if Ben Simmons, Tyrese Maxey, and Matisse Thibel and a bunch of picks go to Portland or, or Chicago or whatever, you're, you know, Ferk's deal is not that bad. You get you sign him for two years, twenty yeah. million dollars, I guess, depending yeah. on because there's not a lot out there um, that you that which which sounds terrible because I don't want him back, but um, it just so much hinges on what they're going to do with Simmons. Yeah, I my, my guess would be he's not back. That's just me though. Um, Mike Scott, I think we can come to a quick a quick conclusion on this one. By the way, low key on. Uh... Ferk, um, don't count out a place like Cleveland where he's got some connections. Um, and uh, C- Cleveland could be a place that wants to turn the corner and start winning. I don't so know. That he's not sure. not court <laughs> no, no, no. But I don't know that they. I don't know that they couldn't work something out with with. Uh, Cleveland to make for Cleveland to get out of that Kevin Love contract. I'd have to do the math to see if they could so get they, out. they like give for kind of Max deal and the sign trade. No, no, but you now you start talking about Danny Green and Furcon, and now now you're up in those. Okay. You, you might be close to eighteen twenty million, and then you add like something else, George Hill. Yeah. Um, and it gets. Are we really at that point in the NBA 
where if we have $20, $24 million to play with, we're looking at Danny Crean and Furkan Korkmaz is the way to do it. Is there if, just not that Cleveland, much out there? If you're Cleveland and you um, – I mean – you need you need to put some shooting around your two guards. Yeah. And um, Kevin Love wants out, and you want out from under that deal. He's got two more years left. It is declining, by the way. It's it's only only twenty nine million uh, the year after this coming year. So I you know it's just that there's some connection. I've thought uh, he might go to Cleveland for a few years now. Um. So. Interesting. I'm not aware of that connection. Are you allowed to? No, I mean, well, he's very close with Chetty and Cleveland yeah. actually has a pretty good Turkish community, which Philadelphia doesn't. Uh, Interesting. Furkan's early, Furkan's first couple of years. Good geographical family, knowledge out of you. Yeah. His fa- like well, I, talk, I talked to him. His family came over and lived with him the first couple of years and they were miserable because they were just stuck in the house and didn't have a community around them. Um, so, uh, that was a really rough time in his life that, that year that they, I think it's three years ago now, uh, it was a rough time for him and his family. They, they went back to Turkey, but those are the kind of cultural things that you don't, you don't necessarily think about, but, yeah. um, but end up mattering to overall quality of life. That's really yeah. interesting. Makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, I I could see this him in Sacramento, like throwing him throwing him a bag and like we need more shooting. Let's we are, our defense already blows, so let's just really really buy into I mean, it. That's the definition of insanity for them. Yeah, it would be. You're not wrong. But what's um, the, what is the cap? Like they they'd have to do an MLE for him. I think it's like I read somewhere. I think it's like 118 this year. The cap is. I think so. Let me take a look. I guess the bigger question, and I know I keep saying this about Simmons, but in general, do you guys expect the trade season to be big? I mean, you ex- that? The cap is 109.1 for 2021-22. Okay, cool. Do you guys expect, you know, Lillard, Levine, all these rumored names to be on, on the go? Because there's a, there's a world where a lot of guys get traded and there's a world where not many of them get traded. And if not many of them get traded, it's going to make it tougher for guys like Furcon to get the deal that they want. But if you're, if there's a lot of movement and you know, there's a lot of bodies flying around then there needs to be bodies replaced and that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm curious what, what you guys think in terms of, do you think there will be as much activity as we seem to anticipate on the trade machine in the Twitter universe. There's never, there's never as much activity as we, as you think there's going to be. Yeah. Um, typically I, I would say, I think a lot of stuff's going to go down around draft time. I, I, I don't think the Sixers are going to make like that big blockbuster trade until around that time, just because I want to compile as many, as, 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 as many offers as they can. I also think Portland wants to do the same. Um, I also don't think like Damien has really explicitly said, like, I get me out of here yet. But I, 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 I also subscribe to the theory that I'm sure there are Sixers in his ear. Like, you know, what's really cool is that Philly, if you think Portland loves you, Philly will love you. Love you, love you, love you. Um, so, I mean, I, I think he has people trying to sell him on Philly, I'm sure. Um, See how good a recruiter Embiid is. Well, it it would help if 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 his former teammate Seth Curry was was not as introverted as he appears to be. So that's not exactly helpful, but uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but Dwight Howard, getting back to the to the question. Well, let, let, let me just weigh in on the trade thing. I think it's going to be really active because I think when you look at some of these teams that have really risen up in the last two years, you can write off some of them from the bubble. And then you see the Atlanta Hawks and the Knicks, especially those two rise up. And then you see the, the Charlotte Hornets finally starting to trend upward. Maybe uh, those teams that haven't turned that corner, the, the, the Chicago bulls, the, um, the Sacramento Kings, the, uh, that, that tier of teams that are either stagnated 
starting to fall backwards, but watching other teams rise up, those GMs have a lot of pressure to make something happen. And you, you, every day you spend with a young star that starts to get into their mid twenties, um, the pressure rises. You, 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 you get diminishing returns on improvements. Uh, and there's a lot of science on this, like what age these guys tend to make their leaps. Um, and once they get past that age, they tend to just have incremental improvements. So the GMs in those in those tier of teams are either going to be on their way out or under a lot of pressure. And those are the kind of teams that if I'm a Daryl Borey and I'm an ex- experienced GM, uh, I'm really spending a lot of time to understand their values, um, what they care about, what pressure they're under. So that's stuff that happens all year. You should know all of that stuff before you pick up the phone to talk about a trade. Um, but I do think there's going to be a lot of pressure on that on that sort of teams that have exciting talent that hasn't translated into wins. For sure. I agree with you. But I also don't – I just think it's like, – like every summer, every offseason, like June, July, you start to really hear the rumors fly. And then – it's like maybe one or two big trades. People get healthy. They do. Yeah. So I, I just think it's I, I I could very well be wrong. I just think it's I typically it's it's never as active as you think it is gonna be. Um but that's just I mean I'm also only twenty five. Jason, you've been around for a little less than twice my le- little less than two times as old as me. So I think you have more experience that, that in this thing than I would. Um but that's just that's just my two cents. Uh, the the NBA is a much different game, though, than than it was when we were younger. Um, it's it's much more visible. It's much more start oriented in terms of you know the fan base and the trade machines and the interest in social media and you know there was always you know the ups and downs with you know when Larry Bird and Magic were in and then the you know the shoe era with the Air Jordans etc. But it's it's different now and. And there's, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot of general managers that see what Phoenix did in a fairly short amount of time and Phoenix too, see what yeah. Atlanta did in a short amount of time. And mm-hmm. I think that puts a little bit more pressure on your, you know, your Charlotte mm-hmm. Hornets, your Orlando Magic, your Sacramento Kings. And, you know, to just, you know, if you're Sacramento and you're just rolling with, you know, Marvin Bagley and De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald and mm-hmm. expecting different results just because they're a year older, I, I think people are going to get impatient with that. So yeah. um, I think it's fascinating. And I, I, I love this time of year as much as the games, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah I, do, so, I do as well. For, just for the sake of time, we do have about 37 ish minutes left here. So I do, I, I do want to get to the other topics as well. Uh, Dwight Howard. What's the version of Dwight Howard? I, think if you trade Ben, you can bring Dwight back. Obviously you don't trade Ben to that way. You can so that so that you can bring Dwight back. But I think like you just have to minimize the amount of time that Dwight, Ben and Thibault are on the court together. So the Ben's gone, you don't have to worry about that at all. Um, I think Dwight was serviceable, even though everyone hates Dwight and everyone was like, was, was like, like Dwight's this, why is that? He was, he would, other than like having poor hands, which I mean, it hurts, but I mean, a lot of big guys have four hands. I generally think he was okay, um, okay enough to, to 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 bring. I also think like centers a centers a position where once you get past the first the first unit center, you, you're you're not trying to find like oh who is this next ultra dynamic shot creating big man like no you you need either a rim runner who can who can catch lobs at the rim or you need a stretch five. So I feel like. You can find specialists either way and have like a third center uh, behind, you know, Joel if Dwight is having a tough stretch. But um, I, I think Dwight is a situational thing where like you see how it plays out and maybe you bring him back if the, uh, um, if if you decide to really buy into the ultra spacing type thing. I, I'm going to feed our fan base and I'm going to say that I agree with everything you said and also – I just do believe that Daryl Morey likes to have – he talked about it at the trade deadline, optionality yeah. to the bigs. And I think he truly believes that 
as undersized as he may be, Paul Reed might be a guy that against certain matchups, certain nights, they can throw him out there for those backup minutes. Um, and whether it's a Tony Bradley type or a – They can resign him, by the way. Whether it's, you know, you get like a big guy that doesn't have to play every night and his minutes may fluctuate wildly based on, on matchup. Uh, but you have that defend in space uh, third big. And you have you have basically your two different uh, weapons that Doc Rivers can use uh, per night instead of this very rigid rotation that they had at the end of the season where they really had no third option. That doc trusted. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the very few failings of Daryl Morey in his first year was not getting a stretch five, and I think it really, really hurt them at several points in the Atlanta series, especially. Um, look, Huge. Dwight Dwight at this point is what he is, right? I mean, he's going to be excitable. He's going to be an agitator. He'll agitate his own fans with getting a a ridiculous offensive foul when one of his teammates just made a three-pointer and it gets waved off he'll pick up a technical foul at the least opportune time but then there's times that he really is you know useful and beneficial and bring you energy and i i like what jason said because if paul reed can provide some of that stretch five ability that would be great although i'd love to see them bring in somebody that can hit threes uh the five position uh, that would which would solve a lot of problems. Yep. So if you're going to get him on a minimum contract, I'm totally fine with it. Yeah. And I don't yep. think anybody's going to give him more than that. So. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I don't think he was nearly as like problematic as, as, as the numbers say he was. I mean, those numbers are all very much like, like they're good numbers. And I think admittedly, even when, even I use them, but like, they are very much set numbers that you can disprove or like talk down if they don't support your argument. Do me a favor, go find me the backup center who's where the team didn't crater and fall off a cliff when Joel Embiid walked off the floor. It's just there's something about not many teams have Joel Embiid. No, I'm saying legitimately his entire career. The team breathes a sigh of relief when he leaves the floor and they go on a run, and that's that is just. As his backup, that is what you're going to deal with. Yep. Instant confidence, instant swagger. Now they're going to get their, 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 they're going to put it on you. And that's yeah. just the life of being Joel Embiid's backup. Yeah, I agree. All right, so we're going to transition into our next topic um, of, of the show. And that's going to be summer homework for each of the Sixers. Jason, you did write an article for 97.3 ESPN on this very topic yeah. uh, we can plug that article i'll even post the link as i pull up the website right now um but um how do you guys want to do this do you want to go down the line and um do starters first or do you want to like go bench first because i mean those are typically the spots where you're going to see most of the uh you know significant improvement i think at this point um what do you I got mean, i think um you know, obviously, you know, we can start with Simmons and I think everything's been said and written about what he needs to improve. So I don't know if you want to save some time and skip that. It's up to you. But, you know, yeah. maybe when you have um, an open dunk in a playoff game, you might want to take it. There's that. But um, <laughs> it's your call. Wise, wise words. Wise words from a veteran. Thank um, you. I with Ben. For me, it's not even about the jump shooting. I think I've abandoned that. I think he's just – I mean, I, 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 Jason and I have gone back and forth about this. I believe he can shoot and is just afraid of doing it. Jason thinks he can't shoot. I wholeheartedly disagree, but that's just me. All right. Well, spend spend one hour watching him shoot up close and watch the ball come out of his hand. And yeah, I can't have, compete with that. I can't, I can't compete with that. Well, First can, of all, can I be the guy? The King Solomon and split the baby in half and say that he can shoot. He just kind of sucks at it, but it's good enough that if he did it a lot, it would help the team. Okay, that's a fair compromise. I think I, I, I can live with that. Okay, um, but I think that's definitely wrong. I just <laughs> said. 
Do you think that if do you think he could be a thirty percent three point shooter from the corners? Just the corners? No, I don't. Do you think he could be a thirty-five to forty percent shooter from the free Free throw throw. line and in if he just took those shots? Not free throw Uh, shooting, but from that line, from the nail. if If he switched hands, yes. Okay. Yeah, I just don't think he's got the touch with his left hand at all. I don't think he does either. No, I think he has a better touch with his right hand. Um, for me, I, I think the jump shot thing is a lost cause. But I also don't think like I, I think you can rebuild the you can restructure the team in some ways where you can mitigate the the damage of him not being like a like 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 a, like a, a jump shooter in closing time. Like if you get if you go out and you and you get Kyle Lowry, I think that in and of itself solves a lot of the playoff problems. Not all of them, but a lot of the ones that that hinder the Sixers this this uh, this Atlantic in the Atlanta series, um, but I, I I I think with Ben, the touch around the rim is so bad. Like he, if you're not going to shoot jumpers, fine. You need to be able to finish with either hand in a in a variety of different ways with under a variety of different angles with guys in his face. Um, that that that's that's what it is for me, and, that, and that's even if he comes back. I'm not. I'm by him by no means convinced that he's coming back. Um, I think he wants to be here. I do, but I, I think a lot of damage has been done. And I just don't think like it's for a guy that. Why do, why do you think he wants to be here? I just have my suspicions. I think he wants to be here. I do. I I I I, I think it's a kind of market where he. It, like like in LA, he'd have TMZ around him all day long. He would never would never be able to go anywhere. I think he can sort of fade into you know the 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 new, the new Jersey hillsides, live his life in peace a little bit, and come play ball, you know, every other night. Well, yeah, no, I I disagree with that. I think TMZ will be in your face and they'll ask a gotcha question, but he's so good at giving the snide snarky response. It's all they want. It'll be easy. They'll love it. He'll love it. He can give his little response and it goes away. It's none of this like grading, you know. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I Howard think media, coming back a week think, later with yeah. more venom. Yeah, I think the media in LA is not, is would certainly be more favorable. But I think in LA, he has, a, I think in a lot of ways, like out in public, I think he's pretty extroverted. In a sense, like, like I think he's more sociable than a guy like Joel is, but I, I I do think Ben is the type where he likes to do his thing and not be bothered. I think in L.A. he'd have a hard time getting around anywhere because he always. I'll give, you, I'll give you another. Yeah. See, I think if you send him to a small Chicago. market, it's yeah. Chicago. Chicago's the city. He gets yeah. everything he would get in Philadelphia. All the all the perks without the uh, Chicago. I think he'd let grinding Chicago. obsession. Um. With the with just the the um, the grinding obsession, they broadly love. I talk to people from Chicago, and they still just love Derrick Rose, right? They just love him, and uh, they vaguely know who Zach Levine is, and they like the highlights. They don't obsess like Philadelphia does. They're not going to be. Uh, he's going to get them to the playoffs, and they'll love him. They'll love him. It's a great. It's a great situation. I don't know about Portland. I don't. I just don't know. I think he liked Portland. I, I, we're all like speaking in like like I, I don't I know the guy less than Jason knows the guy, and I, I I would guess by the fact that I been on the beat for a year, I probably know him a little better than Mike knows him. But I don't think any of us really know him that well, and we're all speaking in like just like we're we're, we're projecting what we think he is as as as, as a guy. I mean. Uh, I think Chicago would be a, would 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 I think he'd like Chicago, but I also. I just think that he likes Philly. I think he does in 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 some ways. Um, I think he likes it enough where he's not requesting a trade, despite all of the fair, in a lot of ways, criticism that he's received. Um, never, I don't think he'll ever officially request a trade. Yeah, well, I don't think he has any leverage. Well, so. you know, he is a clutch client, so he doesn't have to request it. They can just make a decision for him and and That's do right. it or through him, but. Right. I, you know, to, to get back to the point at hand, I've given up on him shooting the ball. All I ever wanted, and I said this actually at the beginning of the season, if he could be a 70% free throw shooter, 
and that gave him the confidence to dunk the ball when he's within two feet of the basket and he played great defense, I would be fine. And it just regressed. Was 35% good enough for you? <laughs> well, I, I, uh, <laughs> no. Here's, here's, what I, here's what I wrote in the, uh, in, the art, uh, in the article. He said, embrace inefficiency. I'm reading it right here. Yep, go ahead. Go ahead. You can you can read it. Ben Simmons, I can't read very well, but I'll try. I can write well. Can't read. Ben Simmons has finally admitted that his reticence to going to the free throw line is mental. This summer will involve a lot of repetition and work to develop a muscle memory to a mechanic, left or right-handed, but mainly he will have to be willing to go to the free throw line in front of 20,000 people and miss a free throw. His term that's a good point. I think he has to be I think he has to be unafraid of missing free throws. That's a massive point. It's a good one. Um, his determination well, he to get be line, used to it. So yeah, he's definitely used to definitely used to missing him. <laughs> his determination to get to the line and put other teams in foul trouble remains a crucial to his transcendence to true championship level star. Um, I again, I, I agree with you. I, I think like, and that all comes back to like, I, I question his mental. I don't know if fortitude is the right word. I think it implies something else. I would say his. His, his his mental strength to like overcome the missing of one free throw. It's uh, you know, does, does he does he re, like if he misses the a free throw in the first quarter, does he now regress back to the entire playoff state where he was in, where he's just like, well, uh, this, this, this sorry fellas, I'm out for tonight. Like you know, the, that's what you can't have happen. That's what that's the true test I think here. He had a breakdown. He had a legitimate breakdown he, in the playoffs he, he and. You know, and 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 it got the best of them. Now, I've shared this with you guys offline, um, and I really believe this. He's gone through some major family issues this year. We don't have yeah. to get into that, yeah. but between that, a very embarrassing breakup, uh, TMZ style, as you mentioned, um, and some again, you know, just it's been a really really difficult year, and and Lord knows what goes on between his ears. And it's not even fair for us to speculate. I feel terrible for the kid. I really do. But I just can't see a situation where you bring him back. And if he goes to not in L.A., you know, not in New York, not a Boston, maybe not even a Chicago, but if he goes to a Minnesota or an Oklahoma or a Portland or whatever and just gets it. I mean, it's not it's it's not a, a fair thing to do to him in some ways. But but if he could be the man, be that right guy that scored. Well, if he could be that guy that scored 42 points on Rudy Gobert every night with without everything anything looming over him to build it up again, I think that's his best shot, quite frankly. I think we should locate relocate Philadelphia to Portland, pick up everything and move it to Portland, all of us. And then it's a beautiful city. We'll call it a different market. Yeah. Um, yeah. this is actually a good question before we move on to the next guy. Um, I got a question for you guys. What would our situation look like right now if Fultz panned out to be who we expected him to be? This is a fascinating one. So if, if, if Fultz pans out, number one, you have your shot creator in the half court where you don't have the issues in the playoff series the way that you do. You also don't trade Jimmy Butler, so you probably still have Dario Saric and Robert Covington, so you have defensive depth on the wing. You have a, a, a very capable backup stretch four slash small ball stretch five. Um, it's really a whole sequence of events. You probably don't trade for Tobias Harris. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, whole, it's a whole chain reaction of the Fultz situation not panning out. Um, and so I think those are all things that, unfortunately, this is where the team is because of it. But I think that's a whole domino effect that is sort of like a butterfly type thing where it changed, it had repercussions down the line and we're, it's like a parallel universe, if you will. It just became a lot easier to construct a team architecture with him filling out that slot. You look at Phoenix and you say, why, why is Phoenix in the NBA Finals? Because their architecture is, like, perfect. Yeah. There are three guys. Not only do they have three really good players, but they are all in extremely complementary positions. You have the point guard. You have your 7-1 center who's mobile, can catch lobs. Um, and you have just an insane bucket at, at two guard with size. So those are the elements that championships are are made from. Now I don't think we all saw um, T 
DeAndre Ayton taking uh, this leap this year, but CP3 certainly brought it out in him, and that's what a point guard does. Yeah. Uh, so you put Fultz into that mix, and just the architecture of the team just becomes a, a lot more um, – it makes a lot more sense. And then a J.J. Redick stays, and you surround those guys with those types of players. Everything becomes easier. Yeah, there, I mean, listen, we could we could spend the next five hours going back and talking about the guys they should have drafted instead of Okafor, and what if Fultz panned out, and what if they chose Tatum instead of Fultz or didn't make that trade, and what if this? What we could we we could go crazy doing that, which is I guess what Keith Pompey's article kind of did, if you think about it. But in in any event, I think that um, the one thing that that's bothered me more than anything is you, you look at all these guys that kind of grew up together, right? You know, Embiid and Simmons and would have been Fultz. Where was that veteran go-to leader on the court? I mean, if they had gotten Kyle Lowry earlier or somebody like that, imagine this, like what Chris Paul is doing for DeAndre Ayton. Um, that's, you know, as long as we're talking hypotheticals and, you know, you, you traded for Jimmy Butler, what if you traded for a, a point guard where Simmons doesn't have to be the one relied on and you had somebody who was a veteran leader that was able to call it out that everybody respected? That's uh, that's the one that I look back on. Yep. And, and at the time, I was not pro-sign Kyle Lowry for – 30 million for four years at age 31. I was not thinking that's what they should do. But to your point, it, in in retrospect, it looks like it would have been exactly the right kind of move to advance the program. Yep. Well, I, I think the issue comes back to like the operating assumption was like in the case of Ben Simmons, progression theoretically should be linear. Whereas it, right now it's just like a rudderless ship. Yeah. 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 Um, so we have this or a vet coach. I just don't think a coach can do what a point guard can That's do. That's not the problem. Like, I, I don't know how many times we've had to go over guards, Point guards are the most, they're the second most important position in sports. Um, I would say NFL quarterback, one point guard, two goalie in hockey, number three. I don't even know what number four is you know, in baseball, but pitcher. No, pitcher's not one. They only pitch every five days. Other podcasts. Closer. Well, if you're a six, if you're a Phillies fan, it's closer. You gotta be be good to need a closer. But anyway, um, so, so it's just, it's impossible to overstate how important a true point guard is. And Ben Simmons, it has 80% of the DNA of a true point guard. He just can't, stress the defense in the ways that uh, uh, an elite elite point guard has to to open everything else I mean, even even doc rivers said it most of the year he said he's not a point guard he's a facilitator and he he, he said that a couple of times this <laughs> oh i think it's everything okay <laughs> okay so he's sam cassell without a shot all right doc doc did a very good job i think of of, of trying to play the, the game of Let's 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 nurture Simmons, and I think it, it backfired on him when it mattered most, and that's why. Yeah. When it, when it came when it came when it came down to it, um, you know, the answer was, is he a point guard? I don't know that answer. Uh, that, that you need to know who your point guard. Oh, is. that was a different question, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's let's go over um, to Joel Embiid. He just comes off of an MVP level season. He lost it to a guy who won a participation trophy. Um, so let's talk about Joel. Jason, you wrote face-up game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you make a good point. Like the face-up game, is, 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 as good as it was this year, and I don't know the exact numbers, I, I would probably guess he was probably in the mid to the low to mid-50s in, in terms of making the twos, the pull-up twos. Yep, um, that's right. Yeah. So like I, I don't know how much better you're listening to get with that. I, I think for me, with Joel, it's understanding and learning how to land softly when you when you go up. <laughs> like that's it's not going to happen. He, well, he's, I know, he's, but. An, he's a giant. It's not going to happen. 
So here's here's what I saw this year that I didn't see previous years. I didn't see Dirk Nowitzki. I didn't see Patrick Ewing until this year. And if you, it, it, I know it's easy to say, well, there's no more upside there. But you know, if he turns into Dirk Nowitzki, um, it, as far as that face-up shooting game, it's there's a lot of upside left. There's still a ton of upside left. And uh, it, he's never going to be an elite role, role man. He's never going to be. A, a Why not? Or he's not going to be because he's not quick enough. He, he, he's not. He, that is his his game is um, he's just not a pick and roll center. He's just not what he is at all. But but if you watch Patrick Ewing. Uh, or you watch Dirk Nowitzki and you put the two of those together, there's never been one of those. Um, there really hasn't. And we, we, we were comparing him to Hakeem, but that would be on a completely different level. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't need to retain his burst and speed to transition into that player. So that's a player that though both of those guys were slow footed with not a lot of hops. Um, and yet they played a long time. They both played into their late 30s. Uh, the last few years weren't great, but I think this narrative that we only have a few years with Joel may not be true because of this specific skill set that he's developing. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Mike? Mike yeah, I, I, agree. I, agree I agree with everything you said. I'm going to give you one that's going to surprise you possibly. When you look at his numbers, this is the difference between, I guess, watching the games and looking at his numbers. I think he can be a much better rebounder. Yeah. I think that, you know, there there are times that he doesn't box out and he just, you know, he gets he gets 12 rebounds just because he's seven feet tall and he's huge. Yeah. Um, I think he could be a better skilled rebounder, especially on the offensive glass. Mm -hmm. It seems like when the game's on the line and he really wants it, he's really good at it. And um, I'd like to see some more consistency and better technique around the rebounding. And, you know, I, I'm thinking about all the different things that he does and, and quite frankly, Jason, you make some great points. Honestly, I just don't don't, even... don't, let, don't start the ego too much. I need to. I need them to be at least a little bit <laughs> argue with me. I, I'm I'm a Blevin stand, so um, as well as Krell. But uh, I don't need him diving for loose balls in the backcourt in the middle of a game against Charlotte in November. I agree. I agree. I mean enough. I mean, look, I you know. You, you you promoted me as a Carolina fan. Dean Smith had these guys diving on the ground, and they would get points in the locker room. There was a big chart in the locker room where they would chart, you know, diving for loose balls, those sorts of things, hustle plays. Um, I don't need MB to do that at this point. We know he hustles. We know he's good. Um, I don't need him diving out of bounds. I don't need any of that. I need him to stay healthy and stay limber. And you know what? If you've got a, a, a six-foot-three guy on the break, don't you don't have to slam it on him. Just just make the basket and land. And don't land on your knee crazy like you did against Washington. Now, yeah, you gotta like, keep this guy okay. Now look, maybe just maybe sometimes there's gonna be a Garrison Matthews in the way, and and and, and you, you know you'll, you, you'll 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 come down hard in the knee. That happens, but I, I don't need the the di You're right. I don't need the diving in the half court. I don't need the awkward footwork as you try to get to the rim. Mm -hmm. I don't need like the unnecessary euro steps. Those are all things that lead to knee degrada degradation and 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 joint on joint issues. Yeah, you, you, you just you just don't need that. And look at me being a doctor here. Um, well, no, you make a good point. And the other thing is, why haven't we heard about any anything around his his uh, trying, surgery? Some answers on that. I just because yeah. every big man has a slight tear in their meniscus. Whatever was going on with him, that wasn't it. And that was like a hockey injury where they gave us something that was factually accurate but misleading. So you, you think that he had a, 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 a meniscus, but it really wasn't much of anything. I think he had something. Yeah. But the the two times he got hurt, he fell on his ass and it looked more like a back to me than than yeah. anything yeah. with me. Yeah. And uh to me it just screams hockey hockey injury where they tell they don't tell you it's the shoulder because they know the, the other team's gonna go after the shoulder. Yeah, I agree. Um let's go oh uh, last thing I'll play much about is like 
I, I think the next progression that would really sort of separate him in the conversation, even though he basically like it was him and Jokic all season long, um, getting a, like a positive assist turnover ratio or even a, a a neutral assist turnover ratio, I think would be so so big. What yeah, I, I I agree, but that's why I think it's so important for for that face up game. Yeah. Um, uh, it's so important for him to be able to see when, when he's faced up on the wing, uh, they can't double him uh, with a surprise from multiple angles. He yeah. sees it coming and he can quickly diagnose and he, he did get better at diagnosing where to go with the ball. Uh, once he sees it coming when his backs to the basket, they can, they have so many different attack angles for the doubles uh, that it leads to guys sneaking under him and poking the ball out. Yeah. You know, one other thing about, about Simmons too, I think he'll be, he'll be a lot better when he's playing with a better point guard. And I know that's a, that's a tough thing to say right now, but you mean Embiid if, or Simmons? You think about, if you think about where his problems were in the playoffs, it's because they gave him the ball at the top of the key and expected him to create over and over again, where if yeah. you have a point guard who's not afraid to shoot, not afraid to get fouled, not afraid to penetrate, that could open things up. You're not as reliant on that, and you're not going to set him up for failure as often. Well, his yeah. his usage rate was just insane. Yeah, because of because of how much he had to carry the team. And I think, uh, you know, you don't have some of these fatigue factors when uh, and the and fatigue is is subtle in like you don't get a position as low on the block because you didn't get down quite fast enough and you're tired so that guy can sort of push you out another three four feet mm -hmm. so now instead of getting deep position at eight feet you're at 12 15 feet and that just becomes a much harder everything yeah i agree i agree let's go over to uh tobias harris because we are running short on time we'll get to the starters tonight um but tobias harris um i kind of think like just the ability to finish like strong at the rim is something that has plagued him at times. Mm -hmm. But I also think like he just does not have that natural vertical athleticism that he needs to get up above the likes of John Collins. Like, there were so many plays in that Atlanta series where he went up thinking he was going to be able to dunk it. And then he was met at the top of the rim by, 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 by John Collins. So, I mean, I don't know, at, at age 28, 29, I don't know that you're going to milk that much more vertical athleticism out of him. In fact, he might even be starting to see less and less than he did at maybe 26, 27. But I, I, if there would be something else you could milk there, I would be fascinated to see that. That would be an area of focus for me. Yeah, three-point shooting. He averages one or two. A, he averaged like one or two a game in the playoffs. And he's one for, really one good at it. Yeah. And, you know, um, you're right. He goes into that. Simmons mode of like, you know, getting these bunnies and just completely missing them when you're, you know, you're six foot nine and you're up in the air, throw it down or put it in. It just, I mean, look, I, I'm really good at Nerf basketball. It's like the same thing, right? But um, it's about the same height and whatever. But no, it just drives you crazy when he short arms those things. And, you know, I love what Doc Rivers did with him this year in terms of getting him to make quicker decisions and go in a straight line, et cetera. And it worked. But, man, just be more willing to, to set yourself up to taking those three-point shots. I think it's going to open up everything else for you and the team. Yeah. Uh, Jason? Uh, I just think he needs to get in a stance a little bit more. And just I think his what he's got left is recognition on defense, being a little bit quicker um, in his decision-making defensively, seeing what other people are doing. Um, so – I think he improved as a defender this year. Yeah. I think he's got a little more upside left there. I agree with you. Yeah, let me ask you this. Do you think there's more to be milked out there with playmaking as a passer? Uh, only with certain partners. You know, he's. I he's think there's like a little bit of like a little bit like better speed that he can do. He, he can read defenses if it's an obvious play. Like if he's driving to the rim out of the, from the right side and he sees a helper come over, instinctively making that read to the opposite corner for a shooter is something he can do better. But I, I don't think he's going to be whipping these no look passes to people. Like like that's not going to happen. But 
I think well, that's what's missing to be your small ball five. Could he get could he get good enough defensively to do that? I don't have the height or the vertical athleticism that you'd need. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 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 Um, let's go over to Seth Curry now. Seth, you know, he left a very positive taste in my mouth. So I, I don't really, I, I, I don't, that sounded really weird. Uh, wow. Um, he, he had a very good playoff run. Um, I think the one thing, like, number one, uh, I, I, I'm kind of curious as to what he looks like in a normal season where he's not fighting COVID and doesn't have the after effects of that affecting him um, for so long. But I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like with Seth, you he is what he is. And I feel like other than three-point volume, really. I mean, I think he gave you every, everything you could ask for yeah. um, from that trade. I mean, obviously, that's one of the, the great trades in Sixer history, if you look at it. Yeah, it really was. Um, but, you know, the thing the thing for me is I, I don't think Seth should have been your starting two. I think he should have been lightning off the bench and – but I, you know, I don't have an answer as to who should have been the starting two. But you know, maybe as Maxi develops, and you know, I, I do love the idea of Thibault starting at some point if Simmons isn't there. But I think that you know he did get hunted on defense, um, you know, in the Atlanta series, and that did hurt. But as an offensive player, you know, I think he really was fantastic, especially in the playoffs, and. Uh, he gave you everything you could possibly ask for. If he could get a little, he actually wasn't as bad on defense as I thought he would be, even though he did get hunted and, and get abused a little bit. And I think they could have schemed around that a, a little bit better. But um, I was pretty happy with him for first year, for sure, especially on that contract and what they gave up. I think it was a home run. Yeah, I, they they should they need to keep him. I think going forward, I think like the over the the, the turnover of ha- like if you trade Ben. If you then trade, if you sign and trade Danny, if you trade Seth, like Embiid needs to have some sort of continuity and some sort of chemistry with his teammates. So you can't keep going year after year after year of just, oh, we're going to try this guy now. Oh, that didn't work. No, 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 we're going to go over here and try that. No, like the guy needs to work with some pieces that he's familiar with that aren't Ben Simmons. Yeah, but if you get the guy you want, you're going to have to give up a lot of pieces to do it more than just Simmons, which is going to create that, unless you're going to do something like, you know, the trade that got turned down with Malcolm Brogdon or something for, God forbid, D'Angelo Russell or something like that. People think D'Lo is like the great, like, like he, that's the guy. Like, I'm telling you, like, he oh, I is, hate him. He is a skilled guy. He makes, he actively is not a good player. No, he's terrible. I don't want him. Jason, your thoughts on Seth Curry? I think you guys nailed it. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. Last, last starter for the day, Danny Green. Is there anything at already to- talked about Danny Green? There's no upside. He's 34, 35. He makes a lot of corner threes. There we go. Uh top of the arc, I would maybe go better at that. But um Tyrese yeah. Maxi. Let's go over Tyrese Maxi real quickly. Yeah. That's a good one. Go ahead, Jay. You can go first on this one. Uh I think it's really important to figure out over the next three months is Tyrese Maxi a point guard or not. And um And when I say that, I mean like a floor general, right? Is he a point guard? Not does he play the lead guard position, initiate offense, and put pressure on a defense. Uh, I just think it's super important for him to figure that out and run a team uh, every day in the gym. At his age, every day he plays five on five, he should be running the point position and knowing where his guys are going to be, how they flow into their spots, everything that Ben Simmons knows and has learned his entire life. Uh, everything that you, you name your top 10 point, Mike Conley is the guy, right? Can he become Mike Conley? Uh, and if he can become Mike Conley, you now have a really, really interesting player. Um, yeah. If he's not John Mar- Morant, or Mike Conley, um, then I, 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 I think the big thing I want from him is to take just consistently take that one extra dribble and get all the way to the rim yeah. and not settle for the pull-up 12-footer. Because I think teams, speaking about D'Angelo Russell, you know, the thing that 
that keeps him from becoming an actual good player and makes him just an impressive player uh, is that he will settle for that jump shot, that 12 foot, uh, foot pull up in the worst possible times. And that's what other teams want you to do. So, you know, it's a, it's a huge off season for him because. Well, what's your confidence level that he can get there? I, I him as a lead guard? point guards are point guards. Uh, they're made. I, I mean, uh, that they're born. Right. And I don't think you start learning it at 19. I think you have to learn it at like 13. And um, he's a guy that has gotten, he's been a, a, a score first guy. Um, so I don't have a huge confidence level in it, but he's still 19 or 20 years old. So, you know, just that would be my homework assignment for him every day. You do nothing but see how many assists you can generate. Um, that's it. The Ben Simmons school of basketball. <laughs> um, do you, do you guys see, a, do you, would you feel comfortable if the Sixers traded Simmons for Zach Levine starting Maxi at the point? Yes. Which is kind of how you have to start thinking about this. Mm hmm. I think you go like a three guard lineup. I could, but, I could be talked into that for sure. Absolutely. Because um, I feel like perimeter defense is very important, but it ultimately, like, like you, you can win a championship without having great perimeter defenders. You really need the defensive anchor to be your center. So, and you have a good defensive center. Um, you, you need the shot creation out of, out of your perimeter guys. And I think having like a three guard lineup of, of like, uh, Zach, Tyrese, and whomever else. Curry. Curry. Fine. Just for the sake of, the sake of conversation, Curry. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I think those are, are present a lot of dynamic things there. And then you know, Tobias is a, a like a, a, a creeping into positive, but basically neutral kind of defender. Ben uh, Joel is a very, very, very good defender. Obviously, I think those are all things that work. Um, from for Tyrese with me, I think the one thing is like. He's not on the scouting report yet. Teams are going to see film of him in his rookie year. They're going to game plan for him. He's going to once he's more in the rotation, he's going to. There's going to be a scout on him. So the layups that were once basic or elementary or were, oh, these are things I prepared for. They're, they're going to take him away. He's got to work on finishing off the finishing with the on the off foot, wrong foot finishes, awkward angles, left hand off the high glass. Right hand off the high glass, left side, all, all that difference up. Like you're gonna have to, you're, he's gonna have to figure out and sort of work on getting adjusted to different defensive looks that they give him. But I, I, I do think that there is value in a, in, a, in, a, in a mid range pull up jumper if you can hit it, if you can hit 52 to 56 percent. It's, it's can you be baited into it at the uh, pleasure of the defense, or yes. will you imp impart your will on the defense? I have actually no concern at all about it. Scoring upside, I think he could be a, a really dangerous scorer in the league uh, at three levels. Um, so it's just he's not the right size to be yeah. a guy that can only get his own bucket and win you a championship. Yeah. Yep, I agree. Mike, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Real Mike Small. I do the Killing Me Smalls podcast. Got a great guest next week, Mike Lombardi, nice. um, who is uh, pretty well known around here. Has had some very strong opinions on the Sixers as well as the Eagles, and and uh, really looking forward to having him on the pod next week. So, Killing Me Smalls on the Painted Lines or on YouTube at Real Mike's, or I'm sorry, at Twitter at Real Mike Small. Mike, and tell us about the charity. Thank you for bringing that up. Actually, my daughter has a brain tumor and she's doing really, really well. And she has decided to devote her time and attention to those who are recently diagnosed with cancer of any kind. We've got a big um, opportunity on September 3rd. We're having a casino night. Please reach out to me if you'd like to go. It's $100 and it includes chips where there's going to be tons of prizes to, to bid for. Um, but you'll be able to play all kinds of uh, casino games, and it includes uh, food, beer, wine. We'd love to have you there at the Spring Lake Manor, but if you'd like to donate, 
It's at small underscore miracles on Venmo and all the money, every single cent we make goes into buying iPads and other things for newly diagnosed kids with cancer. Very cool. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, Jason. Do that. That's a story <laughs> about me. Just uh, everybody. That's, that's really uh, important. Think about being a, a young kid getting diagnosed. The, um, just the shock, the fear, uh, the loneliness, um, all of the things, simple little things that uh, that charity can do um, can really change people's um, lives for for months, for years. Yeah, um, yeah it's really important. I second that. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Corral. I will always promote my Twitter, but. Uh, on a, on a much more serious note, none of this matters if we don't have health. So when Mike said small underscore miracles on Venmo, you can always, you, any spare change you got. Um, and you know, it goes to a great cause. So we will wrap there. Gentlemen, appreciate you hopping on the night. Um, we'll be back. I suppose, I don't even know when we'll be back. Cause there's not a lot going on in recent, recent news. I guess if Ben gets traded in the next week, we'll be on. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, it's not going to happen, I don't think. But we'll, we'll see. As always, everybody, appreciate you tuning in. Have a good night. <laughs>